G'day and welcome to Property Australia's favourite obsession. My name's Jeremy Cowan and this is a podcast where we get to talk about all things property. And today we've got a very interesting guest. They say that politics and sports don't mix. But what about investing? And what about property and sports? And that's what we're here to talk about today. See, today I've got a guy who's got the unique ability to talk about sports at an elite level as well as, of course, property. And so today, Mark Williams from Examine Property, I'd like to welcome along Mark. Welcome to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Oh, thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me. It's uh, it's something I watch all the time, this, this podcast, and it's great to be a guest. Oh, it's great to have you on, Mark. And I want to kick it off straight away by asking the big question. Tell me, what is more exciting, walking out onto the MCG in front of all those hundreds of thousands of people or finding and settling on a property? What's the one that tickles your fancy? Oh, they're both very exciting, Jeremy. Very different. Um, I was lucky enough to coach the Tigers and their round one game was against Carlton each year and around 95,000 go to that game. So it's, it can be, it can get pretty loud and very exciting. Uh, and your performances are quite uh, scrutinised, I suppose, by all those people in the crowd, whereas buying property, you're scrutinised by the person you're representing. And, uh, but finding a good price property in a great spot with, you know, long-term benefits for our investors is something that we really are very passionate about. And as you said, it is very exciting, the search and then the finding the, the property that, that meets the criteria and then being able to settle on it for our clients is, is something that we really uh, appreciate the opportunity to do, but also uh, take very, very seriously. Yeah, I was going to say, I love it. And uh, I love the fact that, as you said, that everyone's an expert at the footy, aren't they? Just as they are in property. <laughs> They certainly are. Everyone's got an opinion. <laughs> so it's not always me. the one you've got. Yeah, exactly. So tell me, Mark, let's go back to the early days. Um, you followed your father's footsteps uh, going to Carlton. What was it like, you know, in those early days playing footy? I was lucky my father played for the Blues because um, some of the guys that he played with were actually administrators at the club. So they uh, looked over me and looked after me a, a fair bit uh, on my journey through the my playing days so I broke for Carlton as well so that was it was a really big thrill to be able to uh, follow my dad's footsteps and play some games for the Blues um, and then I went on to play at the Bulldogs as well so uh, you know it was great to um, continue the legacy of the Williams family name at the Blues. Yeah but you played with some pretty big names there didn't you I mean talking Silvani, Reese Jones, Bradley, Kernahan, Madden, um, Robert Walls was the coach wasn't he? Walls was coach I had Parkin before Walls as well so I also played with Ashmans and Southbys and Marcus. I was lucky enough yeah, to be right. coached by Trevor Keogh and David Mackay in the under-19s all heroes of mine so you know, it was great to be able to walk on the same turf as them and even train with them. It's, it was a real fr- thrill for me. Fantastic. But it wasn't all beer and Skittles there, was it? Um, you uh, missed out on playing in that uh, 1987 grand final. You know, how, how did that feel, you know, to be, you know, not picked in that team? Yeah, it was a tough one. I, I've been injured probably the, first, the prior four years. I, was, I played half a season each year with some pretty bad injuries. In 87, I missed the first half of the year and then I finally got into the the seniors in the second last round and played really well. I had 
kicked three goals and had 21 possessions in a half and then got dropped the next week. So I was devastated to be dropped. But looking back now, uh, and the coach said, look, you know, uh, I think Paul Meldrum was injured when I got into the team and he came back into the side and said, look, Paul's played the whole year. You're really unlucky to go out of the team, um, but we're going to have to put you out. And I, I could, fair, fair to say I was very disappointed. And then there was no injuries after that. So I, the opportunity to play didn't come about again. So I was an emergency for the grand final. I played in the reserves and um, we won the flag that year as well as the seniors. And so although I didn't get to play in the senior team, I still felt a fair bit part of it. And the reserves winning was a consolation prize, I suppose. So the whole team, well, the whole club celebrated that night. Yeah, on say would have been a... A big weekend that weekend. Um, so tell me, what did you learn playing footy? What, what does footy teach you? Footy teaches you discipline, a lot of self-awareness and being able to self-monitor. So being a self-starter, I think it teaches you. So the person that's in charge of your career is yourself. Hmm. And so whatever you get out of it is generally what you put into it. Along the way, there's luck. You know, luck plays a little bit of a, a part in it. Uh, in my case, I was injured a lot, so I didn't have a lot of luck in that department. Yeah, but yeah, discipline, uh, hard work, resilience, definitely resilience, um, and self awareness. I think is the things that I was taught uh, along my way, and also it also teaches you fantastic leadership skills as well. Yeah, so I guess that's a good segue into you know where I wanted to go next, and and that is you became when you finished. Your, your footy career at uh, Footscray. Uh, you did some coaching in the VFL, um, ended up at Sandringham um, and coached them to three premierships, which I believe three premierships in a row that is. And I believe there's only one other guy that's done that successfully. Wasn't it Gary Bryce? Is that correct? Uh, that's right. Until uh, a couple of years after me, uh, the North Ballarat coach coached three in a row, Jared Fitzgerald. Yeah. Okay. So three, yeah, three of us in the competition for hundred years or whatever it may be. So, no mean feat. It was uh, very lucky to step into that role. I was a development coach at Melbourne and um, the senior coach at Sandringham. And I had a great list of players. You can be a great coach, Jeremy, if you've got good players. Yeah. And if, if you, they allow you to direct them and, and they are able to play in the manner that you want them to. Uh, and you can um, mould a team and a culture uh, that is high performing, then, uh, then you can really have an impact as a coach. And that's, I was very lucky. I was very lucky that I had a great group of players. I had great support from Melbourne and Sandringham. And Sandringham were wonderful to me and, and we were able to be very successful because of the every entity that was involved. Yeah, well, you're a Hall of Famer down there these days, aren't you? <laughs> I certainly am. I'm still waiting for the statue, though. <laughs> oh, good work. So you went on to uh, to, to be around the uh, the Tigers um, that would have been pretty exhilarating, both, you know, the, the ups and downs and theirs coming into that, uh, that premiership window. Absolutely. It was, they were perennial uh, ninth place getters. So there was that running joke about us finishing ninth. I started in 2012. We missed the finals. We finished ninth in 2012 again. And then we made the finals three years in a row. And then our last year, uh, we were badly injured and had a very bad year and, and all the assistants were changed over. But um, 13, 14, 15, well, especially 15, we uh, we won 14 or 15 games and we were basically a kick away from finishing fourth. And had we finished fourth, 
we would have played Hawthorne in the first final and we'd mm. beaten Hawthorne, I think, two or three times mm. uh, prior to that. So we would have been a chance to go straight through to the the, uh, uh, the qualifying final, uh, the, um, sorry, the, the semi-final to get into the grand final. So disappointing from that point of view, but I had a great time with the Tigers. Brilliant club, really well led. We won a lot of games um, in the time I was there. And unfortunately, I fell a year short of mm. the premiership, of the actual premiership in day. So, but yeah, I feel like I had a, a big influence in the five years prior to that 2017 flag day one. Uh, most of the players that I coached played in that grand final and still in, still great friends with all the coaches there and, and uh, still in um, regular contact with them all. I was saying they played in a, uh, in a pretty similar game style that, uh, that you developed, didn't they? Yeah, I was, I was in charge of the offence, the team offence. So I had a big say in the way they played. And um, and so I was char- yeah, charged. Whenever we had the ball, that was my part of the game. Mm. And so I you know, had, you know, um, had a big say on how we moved the ball, uh, how we structured the team. Obviously, Damien had the final say on all that sort of stuff. And I had to run things by him all the time. But... You know, in, in um, coordination with him, you know, I was lucky enough to be given a fair bit of freedom in regards to the way we played the game. And it was exhilarating. It was fantastic. So what's really the role of a coach at a footy club? The, the role of a coach, depending on what coach you are, there, there's a development role. So every coach has to try to develop their players to play to the best of their ability. And to do that, you need to instill specific characteristics and and they need to be skilled up um, to be able to uh, put skills into processes and processes into game plans. And so the role of a coach is really to develop their players' skill uh, and their knowledge in regards to the way the team operates and plays and also the cohesiveness between team members um, so that the team runs, uh, plays, smoothly and predictably uh, and in a manner that uh, is um, uh, in a manner that helps them win games, I suppose, and finish as high as they can on the ladder to give them a chance to be able to play off the ultimate um, reward, which is the premiership. Because it seems pretty, like when I was thinking about this question, it seems to me that, you know, every club, you know, they've got players on the list that are, you know, quality football players and they can all play footy that it seems as much a management of personnel as as anything, um, you know, providing support to players, um, you know, making sure you've got the right staff and, and, and um, you know, other mechanisms around the players, um, you know, managing the whole uh, belief and trust in the game plan, um, instilling confidence you know, the management of personalities. I mean, it seems like that's very much the role of uh, of, of a coach. Oh, absolutely. You've mentioned support, welfare. They're, they're two really important things. Facilities, being able to uh, provide opportunity through facility, good gym, um, you know, Pilates, um, massage, welfare. So making sure that they're just not thinking about football all the time, having careers outside football that they're going to move towards once they finish. One of the big mandates, Jeremy, is to make sure that when a player comes in, they leave a better person. Mm. And uh, that's one thing that all the staff work towards and everyone plays their role. So you're exactly right in saying that, you know, the 
the clubs are um, established with a whole lot of um, people that are uh, experts in their field and those resources go into each and every player. Yeah. And so, uh, and players use the resources at different levels. Some require more support than others. Uh, but in the end, it's, it's the support of all the people involved in their specific areas that help the players develop into the, the players that the team uh, requires and, and expects. And then the coaches are really set the, the direction of the team and, and the, the coordination and the um, predictability of the way the team plays uh, together you know, as a team. And so you know, the coaches are so important in regards to the way the team plays and the cohesiveness of the team. So why is it then, or how is it maybe, maybe how is a better word, that players fall in and out of form? How, how does that happen, Mark? Uh, injury, confidence. Um, sometimes players, um, the, the way you lose confidence is just by through your performance. And sometimes they lose sight of, of um, the important things in their performance. They you know, get ahead of themselves or they... Uh, try to do things outside of what they they really need to do. One of the things that, that elite teams have is just play your part, play your role. You don't expect any more or less of what what we want you to do. Um, so just do that. And sometimes people go outside that, and when they do, they come under scrutiny. And, um, sometimes negativity can eat away at players, which will diminish their confidence. Uh, sometimes they just um, go at like, losing form is, is sometimes just about not doing the basics well, uh, or and sometimes it's opportunity. Sometimes you know, half forward, I used to play half forward flank. Sometimes I used to call it starvation corner. Sometimes you could have a ball on a string, and sometimes you wouldn't go near you. You know, yeah. so um, you know, there's so many ways that like pressure at home. You know, with wives, girlfriends, children not being able to sleep, sickness, being sick sometimes. Things like sickness can you know hang around for weeks and weeks, and and it diminishes your energy, so you can't. Uh, work as hard as you would like, and if you're really, if your game is revolves around working hard, and you can't uh, utilize that energy to be able to work hard, it diminishes your performance, and then that puts pressure on you in regards to the team selection or or position selection, even. So there's a myriad of uh, things that go on in players' form and, and confidence, uh, and uh, and team performance has a big is a big factor in how individuals perform as well. It's just it's a cycle, you know, the, the makeup of the t- individuals as a team. That's why you know, champion teams will always be champion players because yeah. the, the collective um, force of a team is much stronger than a collective force of one person. And so if the team's not playing well, sometimes individual players form wanes as well. So that being said, Mark, and from your experience in an elite sporting capacity you, you've seen the impact that um uh, that coaches have on a playing group and a, and a player why is it that when it comes to investing and in property so few people have a coach that that everyone seems to think they have to do it on their own or want to do it on their own that they don't put a team and they don't have a coach in their team what why is that you know the, the best tennis players in the in the world or you know best afl footballers soccer players you know that they they all have um you know coaches and yet when it comes to investing we seem to somehow think that we need to do it all on our own why is that 
That's a great question, Jeremy, because I think unless you've been exposed to professionals and the knowledge and experience they bring to whatever uh, areas they are uh, professional in, um, I, I don't know that you, as, a, as an investor, I don't know that you um, would appreciate um, the, uh, that knowledge or experience and the benefit it can provide to you as an investor, um, you know, in your investment pursuits. So it's like being exposed to, I suppose, professional coaches and professional environments, what you get from that is uh, there's direction and there's, you know, um, responsibility and accountability. Yeah. And so you, yeah. when you, as soon as you become involved in, a, in an environment that is professional and uh, in my case, an elite sporting environment, there's all these bound boundaries and there's all these uh, drivers and there's things that help you move forward uh, that you are provided with. Whereas when you're a mum and dad investor and you haven't none of you haven't been exposed to the professional uh, environment or the professional knowledge or experience that can help you benefit, uh, you're trying to find your way. Mm. You know, and that's why we like to deal with um, financial planners and and professionals in each area because they provide a plan for the, the people that they're representing. And that's what I think um, mum and dad investors or investors that uh, do their own work or feel they need to do their own work, I think that's where their lack of uh, exposure bring, can bring them undone. You don't, you don't know what you don't know, I would say. And so that that's... I completely understand that now. And so whatever I do now, I go to a professional and get them to do it. Yeah. Whether it be tax, whether it be renovating, whether it be um, financial planning, I have all those, I have that support network now uh, that I rely on for all the things in my life. It, it does amaze me about that, that, you know, for some reason, um, you know, we just seem to really struggle in that investment sphere um, to actually put our hands up and say, hey, I don't know everything. Hey, I do need some help. Um, hey, I would like some professionalism. Even if you do know, as you said, that one of the great things about you know the, the professionalism in a footy club is it creates rigour and process and accountability um, and sets standards and boundaries. And you know those things are just so important from an individual investor point of view as well that um, you know you may have all the knowledge to do a whole lot of stuff, but, you know, again, it's, it's why people who, um, you know, professional boxers, you know, why they have a coach and, and someone in the corner, et cetera, that they have a team around them because the outcome is always going to be much better um, when you surround yourselves with really good quality uh, professionals. Absolutely, Jeremy. And you, and you, you do, you look at, look at that sort of stuff and, and you think if they, that's the thing, a lot of, property investing is there's news and there's people talking at the tea room and there's, you know, someone's bought a property and then they talk to someone else and say, oh, this is a great investment. Whether it's a great investment or not, um, you don't find out that for a long, long time. So if you've made a mistake early, it's going to come back to bite you at a much later date. And there's on the other side of the coin, some people get into places that, that are, they feel um through the through news or whatever it may be, oh, this this area is going really well. By the time it's going real really well, it might have gone really well, and yeah. it'd be too late to get in. 
Mm. And the other thing, as you well know, is budget has a big place to, you know, to play, a big role to play in regards to selecting property. Sometimes people have to go to specific areas because they've only got a, a specific budget. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. they would be better to go at spending a little bit more or getting a different type of property in a better area than they, mm-hmm. they are going into, you know, regional areas or areas against the traffic. Yeah, exactly right. Where, you know, they expose themselves to, um, you know, uh, additional excess land or, um, you know, low... Um, uh, yeah, it might be high... Low, that's it. Yeah. Might be high vacancy rates, or you know, there's yeah, a, a whole lot be. of stuff, or, or, or even just yeah. expose themselves with regards to you know their affordability. I, I often have thought about it in like from a footy uh, point of view that you know you, you when you have a like an AFL team, you you, you don't have a, a team of you know whatever centermen or forward flankers or full forwards or whatever. You know, you have a full back and you have a couple of guys in the back pocket and and you have the flanks and 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 the wingers etc. And and they've all got a different role to play. And and part of that role comes from both their natural ability as well as their you know natural physiques etc. And and to me, it's a bit like you know we're all individuals and we need to approach investing in the same way that you know I might have a or you might have a more secure income than I have and I might have a higher level of income but you know I might have a greater deposit than you etc and it, it, it means that you know my my wants and needs are, are, are different and and the things that I bring to the table are different as well which means that the sort of property that I should be uh, exposing myself to you know could be quite different you know as you said you might be quite comfortable and it might quite be appropriate for you to buy you know something in the you know the million dollar mark where Whereas, you know, I need to be, you know, purchasing something around the 500s. And as I said, it's no different to, you know, the guys on the footy field or the girls on the footy field, um, you know, having the stature and the stamina to, to run as a winger and, you know, someone else is really tall to be a ruckman. Absolutely right. And it, it all goes down. It all comes back to yeah, your budget and opportunity, really. You know, so you're exactly right. And what people get caught up in is they, they set their budget and then they realise that they can't get what they want, so they settle for what they can get. And sometimes that, that's not the ideal thing to do. You know, you, you're much better off, instead of buying a house out in the middle of nowhere for $500,000, you're better off buying a townhouse in a really good area with the right demographic and facilities and, mm. um, you know, uh, population growth and all that sort of stuff, um, where the capital growth is going to be much at a much better rate than it is in a place where you buy a house and land and there's land everywhere. Yeah. So... But that's that's why you need professionals, and that's and as you said, the professionals form the support around um, the clients or the team, and help the team perform to the optimal standard by blending them all together. I also find it really interesting that we tend to focus on, you know, again using the the the, the football outcome, uh, but the, or the football analogy that we tend to focus on the outcome of player performance, but there's a lot that occurs behind the scenes to get that outcome. And, you know, by definition, footy is a team sport, um, but it's bigger than just the one player on the field, isn't it? And it struck me too, thinking again about this, that footy is very much about preparation. Am I correct in saying that? Well, absolutely. Preparation is the most important part of the game. So an AFL team will prepare against an opposition for four weeks prior. So they'll watch vision 
and they'll watch teams all year, but they'll, as they're coming down to, towards playing a team, they'll take the last four weeks' performance into account, work out where everyone plays, work out um, how their team matches up, work out who they need to stop, who they can expose, who uh, their team can um, enhance their performance by playing in a certain way or in a certain position. Uh, so there's preparation is also is super important. Um, and even preparation in, you know, uh, skill development, preparation in game plan development. Uh, it's, it's all about how well you prepare uh, and then execute. And so, and you're exactly right mate, about um, the way teams are formed and their, and their performance. The way teams perform at higher and higher levels is just by closing gaps. And so you'll have a standard performance and the way you improve your performance is by uh, c- continuing to perform at the things you do well at the, to, to an optimum, but also in closing the gaps uh, of things you aren't proficient at. And the more gaps you close, the higher performance. And then, again, the, the sums of the performance of each individual goes into making up the performance of the team. So if each player can help another player perform at a better level, then the team improves. And we at the Tigers, we had a, a really simple way of um, assessing performance. We, we knew out of the 22 players, we had a, a specific level. There was um, brown, red, orange, green, bright green performances, so traffic light performances. Mm-hmm. If we had 16 players play at the standard performance, which is orange, we would win a game. Yeah, you know? right. Along with that, that's a very simplistic way to look at it. We also had a lot of other factors in regards to, you know, yeah. a number of tackles and, um, you know, uh, ball movement uh, percentages and goals scored from turnover, those sort of things. The, the statistical analysis of the game uh, also can you can work out pretty quickly how the game's going, how it's been played. But but realistically, in the end, it's about individual components um, playing um, as a team and then that that team energy and predictability going forward through performance. So just I want to grab you on a couple of points there. The first one being the preparation. You know, said that preparation is everything when it comes to footy. When it comes to investing, you know, how would you say that most people – how well would you rate most people's preparation in um, you know going forth to uh, look at an investment property? Uh, outside the professional realm, I would say um, people think they're performing well, but I think a lot of people don't know what they need to be looking for. Mm. And so, as a professional, you know, especially um, with uh, groups like us that are linked into the property cycle. A specific property cycle, and we have uh, criteria that we uh, hold very um, importantly when we're looking for property. Uh, I think that's a critical component, knowing what you're looking for and and why you're buying in a specific area or uh, and at a specific time. Because timing, as we know, Jeremy, is super important in yeah. in the different markets in Australia and around the world. Yeah, you can if you time things wrong, it can take you a whole cycle to get back to mm. um, neutral. If you do, if you do get it wrong, but if you get it right, it can really be beneficial and can really set you on the right path in regards to your investment uh, journey. And so, I think the uh, outside the professional realm, people uh, do uh, a lot of reconnaissance and research, but I think the the gap is generally 
knowing what they're looking for mm. and yeah, why they're buying why they're buying a specific property in a specific area at a specific time. Yeah, and that other point too about you know the, all the cogs in the wheel. You know, most people going out to buy an investment property, they might have a mortgage broker or a bank that they've sort of teamed up with so they know you know what sort of price point they're at but most of them don't go a lot further than that do they and and you know do you think that they would be it would be beneficial for those people to ensure they had a, a much broader and deeper uh, experience in their team oh most definitely there, there's all sorts Jeremy as you know some people come straight to us and say I want to buy a property without looking at their budget or their ability to borrow some people have not had uh, have never borrowed before, so they haven't had experience with mortgage brokers or banks. Mm. So they don't really know what deal they're getting when they go to those professionals. Um, not many people know much about insurance or property management. And so uh, if they're buying a townhouse or they're buying an apartment, you need to know those sort of things. And so um, they're, they're critical components of the whole makeup of the investment journey. And so uh, without those, without that knowledge, you really, or without those parts of the team, you still really are flying blind in regards to um, looking at property and wanting to invest. Yeah, I, I find that amazing how, uh, and I think maybe you've hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that most people just, it's a bit of, they don't know what they don't know, which is, you know, a, a bit of a shame that if they actually had a team, if they had some advice around them, they could make life um, you know, a lot better for themselves. And it, it's probably reflective in the fact that, you know, most people who purchase investment property, you know, they, they don't hold it two years. Um, they've got rid of it. And, um, you know, whether that's from unrealistic expectations or, you know, poor um, experience or just having purchased the, the wrong property, I'm, you know, not here to say. But, you know, it does, you know, reflect that if they, if you do the preparation, if you have the, the, the support around you, you're likely to, well, not likely, you will make much better investment decisions. Absolutely, Jeremy. And you hit the nail on the head, mate. It's not a two, like an investment property is not a two year thing. Mm. It's a long term thing that you need to be able to put in your back pocket, be able to uh, manage through yield and obviously being able to meet repayments. And then in 10 years' time, looking at it and saying, yep, we've kept it for the, we've got it at the right time. Mm. We've kept it uh, the right amount of time. And then being able to make decisions on whether you, continue to keep it or whether you turn it over or hand it on or whatever it may be, you know? Yeah. So I've had numerous friends who bought properties at the same time as me, get rid of them after two years because we, at my, in my um, property investment journey, I bought my first two properties at the wrong time. Mm. I didn't know, didn't know about the cycle when I bought my two properties in 2008. Mm. So completely the wrong time. Mm. And other people who were friends of mine bought, and we bought them in good spots. We bought them yep. through advocacy. So we used professionals. So they weren't bad spots. But it was just a bad time to buy them. Yeah. And so it's taken until now um, to start realising some good capital gains. But numerous of my friends have got out in the first yeah. two or three years when, um, when there was no growth or, or negative growth and um, haven't reaped the benefits. So timing is super important, but also holding those assets for a, a uh, you know, a time that will help you or allow you to um, have that capital gain is super important as well. Absolutely. So when did you first realise that you had a passion for property? 
I bought my first property at 23 and didn't know anything about the property cycle. And then three years later, I bought my first property for 72,000. Three years later, sold it for 110. I thought, how long has this been going on for? <laughs> and so then I was, yeah. And so then I thought, geez, this is not a bad, this is not a bad way to make some you know, good, good money and build assets. So then I bought a house. Uh, again, I bought it at a really good time. Yeah. Uh, that quadrupled when we sold it. And we bought the house we're in now, and that's doubled since we bought it. Yeah. So um, I think back in 80, I might have been about eight, 1985 or 86, I bought my first I bought my first property. And, and that experience with the you know the mm. capital growth really got me interested in. And once my footy career was over, um, and having some counsel with yourself and Ian, um, once again, professionals, uh, I decided to dip my toe into the, the property market and, and also uh, becoming a, a, an agent. And then, and having a look back, it's been fantastic. Yeah. What, so tell, tell me, Mark, what, what is it that you most love about property? I just like the diversity of it all, the, the opportunities that come up and, and how the interest in property, everyone... The reason yeah. you do your podcast, Jeremy, everyone loves property. Yeah. It's just amazing. It's such a talking point and, yeah. and it's, you know, it can be positive, it can be negative. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone thinks they know. Like you said, everyone wants to buy, do it themselves. Um, and just the, the different reasons that property does um, appreciate, uh, the different types of property, the different standards of property, the way builders go about their their tasks, you know, all, all those things I find really interesting and the different types of property for the different areas and, mm. you know, the demographic and how it all goes back into land prices, you know, the economic prosperity, that, it just, the cycle really fascinates me and how it all works. Yeah, I I kind of agree with a lot of that. I, I'm, you know, I reckon I, I can remember as a kid, Going and on a on a Saturday afternoon and looking at property with my mum and I must have been I don't know ten or so ten years old and and just being fascinated. In fact, I can still remember the the I can still drive past houses today and I know what the floor plans are inside. That I can still remember as a kid walking through the house. Remember what the kitchens looked like and the bedrooms and stuff. Um, a, a bit of a quirk of my own mind, but I just find it just so interesting that there's just as you said, there's just so many different angles to property. Um, Everyone's got an opinion, and 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 you know that they can come at it from so many different ways, and and you know, and a lot of times, no one's necessarily right or wrong because it depends on your own circumstances. Um, the but uh, as you said, that a lot of decisions probably could be made better decisions, or people could make better decisions if they knew a little bit more. But given what they know and their experience and how they've approached it, then you know that's I guess how they come to uh, making some of those decisions. Absolutely. Even renovating, we've, we've mm. finally got an office into our house now. We've just finished it yesterday. Oh, been fantastic. 18 months. Yeah, it's been 18 months trying to get this thing put in because of COVID and, mm. you know, hold-ups on the docks. And, and now that we've we had an office before, which was okay, we've got this new office. It's wonderful. Yeah. And so it's really ignited a passion in regards to uh, my interest in renovating our house and make it beautifying it and fixing the backyard and fixing our kitchen. Now that I've seen the result of some of yeah. the work on this, oh my God, why wouldn't you, while we can, why wouldn't I renovate and make our house you know, a, a real pleasurable place to, to be in? Yeah, 
Yeah, oh, I love that side of it. I love the the thinking and the putting together and the coordination of it. Uh, yeah, that's always um, always good fun. If um, Mark, was there something that you wished that you knew about investing when you were younger? Uh, that's a great question as well. I think most probably uh, there's a couple of things I kicked myself about um, that I didn't do. One was um, taking opportunities. There's yeah. been opportunities, numerous opportunities along the way with property and a couple of times. So the classic example is in 19, who oh, would have been maybe oh, 1998 or something like that, maybe 2000 it might have been. Um, we, the football club I was coaching, which was in the VFL, which Preston, their major sponsor was a Queensland-based, actually it was 2004, sorry. Yep. Their major sponsor was a, a, a Queensland-based financial uh, institution. And one of the young ladies was accumulating property. It was a great time in the cycle, so 2004, about yeah, similar absolutely. to now. Yep. Um, and we had just paid our house off, so we had mm-hmm. uh, some good equity. And I went to Queensland on an end-of-season trip with the uh, proviso that I'd go and join this young lady and go and have a look at some property. Yep. And um, we went and saw a Queenslander in, I think it was called Kangaroo Ground. Or Kangaroo oh, Point. yeah, Kangaroo, Kangaroo Point. All right, right. this story is getting interesting. That is unbelievable. It was just a cracking Queenslander, cul-de-sac right next to a school. Um, It was $230,000 and it needed about, uh, it needed probably $15,000 worth of work. It needed a new kitchen, a new back fence and a new toilet. And because of that, I thought, oh, we just paid our house off. I I got home, I said to my wife, oh, look, why don't we just have a rest for a, a year and instead of being... You know, instead of really going hard all the time and trying to pay things off and saving, and why don't we just have a rest and go out for two, a few times and, and you know, just enjoy ourselves a little bit more. We're only pretty young, you know, we just got, got yep. married. And yep. well, I said, yeah, that's a good idea. Two years later, the property was worth 600000 mm. mm. And so had we made the right decision, we would have been a long, long way down the track with our property investment. We probably would have had another maybe yeah. four or five, six properties. Yeah. And so one thing that I wish I had, uh, learnt a lot earlier was take opportunities when they arise because you know, they're few and far between good opportunities. Yeah, correct. I, I've got to give you a big tick though that, um, you know, most people, one of the, when you ask that sort of question, their, their thing will be, oh, I wish I'd started earlier, but you've got to take your hat off at 23 to uh, have jumped in the property market. That's, um, that's a pretty fair effort for a young fella. Very lucky, Jeremy. I, my, I worked for an insurance company and at that stage, loans were 17.5%. And I was lucky our insurance company was um, giving us loans at 6.5%. Whoa, okay. So I, I borrowed as much as I could and I bought a townhouse. That was my first yeah. property. I bought a townhouse in... I wanted to buy a house in a place called Oak Park, which was 82000 I couldn't get the extra 10000 so I had to settle for a townhouse in Pascavale South. And then uh, that was the start of my journey. It was, you know, I'm very lucky to be able to afford a property at that age and very fortunate that I did do that because it started me along the path of uh, uh, asset accumulation. Yeah, that's fantastic. So tell me, Mark, you help investors and uh, owner-occupiers source real estate. Um, You know, real estate's a very 
a very emotional um, asset. You know, people love to touch and feel, as we've said, you know, everyone's got an opinion on it. Um, everyone comes from a different background. How, when you're sourcing property, do you try and take the emotion out of it? Because, you know, I imagine, like I've got a good mate of mine who's a builder and he's always said that, you know, he loves doing commercial work because commercial is very cut and dry. You know, renovations, he said, there's always a level of emotion when you're doing renovations, but it's normally not too bad. But when you come to building a house, he said, it's just, you know, most people are just off the charts with their emotional side of it. And and buying and selling property, uh, I would imagine it is just as emotional as building. So how do you deal with that? Well, we tell our investors straight up, no emotion. I, I tell them the story, but I bought a, those, those two apartments I bought in 2008, I've still got those. I've been to one of them three times. And prior to about six months ago, I'd been to the second one three times. And we've just renovated one. Hmm. So it needed a spruce up. So I've been back for a period over the last two months, probably 10 times. But prior to that, it was yeah. the, the transaction was purely and simply an investment transaction. I wasn't going to live there. It was a good area. Um, it was rented really well. So in one of the apartments, we've had one tenant for the uh, 13 years we've had it. Yep. Because uh, it's got a great floor plan. The second apartment, the floor plan wasn't as wasn't as good. We've had multiple, say, six or seven tenants in that 13 years. Yeah, yeah. I tell, I tell my investors that story because it just highlights that it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's a vehicle. So you, you can't get emotional about those things. It's purely and simply what, what, um, what sort of asset is it? What um, yield is it providing me with? What capital growth is it going to provide me with to continue my um, asset accumulation mm. and setting, setting myself up for retirement? So we, we address emotions straight away and, and basically try to take that completely out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah, good way to be. Good way to be. And tell me, you work um, and do some buyer's advocacy work, don't you? And can you maybe explain what does that mean and what does that entail, Mark? Well, our buyer's advocacy is obviously um, accumulating or, or being able to buy uh, property for your clients. There's a whole lot of different types of advocacy going on. There's you know, the transactional one where someone says, I want to buy a place and the advocate just goes out and finds what he wants. There's criteria sometimes, criteria based where it could be a house to be lived in or it might be an investment where people want to buy in a specific state um, um, or it might be a specific type of property or it might be a specific, so it could be commercial, could be residential or it could have a, have a budget. So what we try to do is, and our niche is that we, uh, again, hook into the, the property cycle and we try to um, give our clients uh, critical information in regards to their investment. And so, as I said before, the timing, what, what market is the, which market is the best time to buy in? What type of property for a specific area? So we, we apply all our, our normal criteria we would uh, when we sell you know, newly completed off the plan properties to our advocacy and, and try to educate our clients in regards to why you would buy a, a specific type of property in a specific area at a specific time. And also, uh, we also give information on um, their budgets. So you should really be able to buy um, an uh, old place um, for the almost the, top, the, the price of a new 
property yeah. um, in specific areas at the right time. So our education and our knowledge of the cycle and our, our adherence to our criteria hopefully will amplify the returns for our investors. I reckon, again, that's a really important point that, you know, coming out of that professional, um, you know, elite sports programs that, you know, you, you, you have a plan, you have a criteria, you have a process. Um, you know, going back to footy again, you know, footy is very much about those things. I was surprised, um, you know, to, to really understand that about how much process is involved in, um, you know, in football. Oh, absolutely. And as, as you said before, the, um, we try to keep people between the lines and that's what football teams do and football clubs do, try to keep people within the tram track. So give them some criteria, um, allow them a bit of um, space to breathe and to, to move and, and grow, but also guide them along the way so, and hold their hand. So we give them the opportunity to make the decision, but we try to give them every opportunity also to have all the information required to make the right decision. Mm. 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 what's the um, single best piece of advice that anyone's ever given you my father said when I was young you know work hard get a good job save and get a house and that was good for the time it was very good advice for the time and it's really helped set me up because I did that exact thing and that's why I probably bought my first house at 23 things have changed though Jerry now because we've got rent vesting and a whole lot of different circumstances in regards to, you know, government support um, with um, tax and all those sort of things. But I think um, in regards to the way I've lived my life, it's just, just um, act the way you would like people to act for you, you know, or do things, that, do things for others that you would like other people to do for you, you know. Be honest, communicate well and just, and just um, just be a good person, I think, you know, yeah. because one of the, the, the thing about um, our environment these days, everyone's outraged about everything, you know, so we just want to make sure that, you know, you're playing your part to be uh, a good person, you know, a good citizen uh, and pulling your weight in regards to what you do and how you do it. Yeah, it's interesting, and um, that's a that's a that's a good answer. In that, um, uh, you know, I find it interesting that we spoke before about you know when we're approaching um, you know property, we try and take the emotion out of it, but it is you know an emotional thing, property, and we live you know in, in a world of connection where we're emotional beings, and and as you said, you know to um, you know to treat you know someone with some kindness and some compassion, it um, it certainly goes a long way, doesn't it? Oh, exactly right. Just treat people like you'd like to be treated. And I think, and, you know, if you can do that and, uh, and you know, fit into whatever environment you have to fit into uh, without, you know, rocking the boat too much or, and not without, not being completely passive, but, you know, just being, um, being, I think, the way you want to be uh, and living the way you want to live is really important for yourself, but it also, it'll help others around you. You mentioned before about the, uh, the the property at Kangaroo Point that you didn't take um, advantage of. Is is that your biggest mistake in property, or can you can you think of another one that's um, been a bit of a doozy for you? Oh, definitely the the, the um, purchase of the, my two investment properties, my first two investment properties, 
after I bought my house was completely the wrong time. It was 2008, almost the top of the market. Um, prices were, oh, they, they were going through the, the roof in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, and mm. although it, I understand it's a long-term uh, investment property, uh, it could have, if I had bought it at the right time, it could have been such a, a better journey, a more pleasant journey, I would say. Mm. Mm. When you understand how the cycle works and uh, and and how it lays out, it, it it, it can help that journey, you know, significantly, can't it? Um, and even if it's just in with regards to your own expectations of um, of how things are likely to pan out. As you said, you know, real estate's a long-term investment and you want to be it in for the long term, but, um, you know, there's always going to be some short-term hiccups along the way. Absolutely. It's much better to be in the positive at the start than have to wait 10 years to get back into the positive. Or Absolutely. The, or to really, you know, I, I think... The one thing with the, the two places I bought early on, they are in good spots and they've been rented the whole time. Yeah. And so I've been fortunate in that case that we did buy in, in a good spot, um, both of them. And, and so they've looked after themselves in that regard. But, you know, instead of instead of having maybe almost doubled now, they might have you know, quadrupled yeah. if we had bought yeah. them at the right time. Yeah, Correct. Correct. So can you tell me what's the biggest challenge that you face at the moment and, and how are you uh, uh, dealing with that challenge? Well, COVID's been a really big challenge for us because we haven't been able to get out there and, and source property. So as you well know, Brisbane is a really hot market at the moment and we are really uh, bullish about Perth, the Perth market, um, and then in order uh, Melbourne after that. Yep. And so the biggest challenge we've got at the moment is we can't we haven't been able to get to Brisbane to source more property, and we haven't been able to get to Perth for our next phase of yep. investment for our investors. Um, maybe you know next year or you know the end of next year, where we really need to be able to get over there and do our research and identify where we want to purchase investment properties for our clients. And it looks like we won't be able to get over there till you know maybe halfway through next year, mm. which is a real challenge for us because. The, the way um, Examine and Omar especially go about uh, property selection you know, is so um, so careful with that that part of the um, mm. the criteria, the selection and the area and the demographic. He really needs to see and feel and understand the area. So that's going to be a real challenge, and we're hoping we're not going to miss out on um, Perth. Um, uh, but we're also preparing ourselves to move into the Melbourne market as well, which is starting to stabilise a bit more now. And so it's making us a little bit, a little bit more bullish about getting back into the Melbourne market as well. So they're the challenges. COVID's provided some real challenges in regards to being able to travel and touch and feel mm. and comfort levels of um, investment areas. Um, moving forward, look, you know, we're really hopeful that now everyone has uh, been vaccinated and, Things are starting to open up. We think the you know the property markets will really start moving a lot in the next year or two, as we know they will in the cycle. But we just want to see it for our own eyes. So our investors who have previously invested will see some um, capitalized capitalization in their their prices, and also uh, we can identify where the, the next opportunities are. Yeah, that's um, absolutely sort of hit the money uh, there. In that you know we were very big. You know, we, we called it pretty early that, you know, the whole 2020 
um, you know, COVID decline whilst it remained a, um, a health pandemic and not a credit crisis that property prices, you know, would stay buoyant. Um, and, um, you know, in the second part of the cycle, we can expect uh, those property prices to continue moving upwards, um, you know, especially whilst, you know, credit remains uh, abundant. Um, and, um, you know, as you said, that uh, we slowly sort out this, uh, this health pandemic that is COVID-19. Yeah, we just we just need to feel comfortable. I think with um, the areas that we're we're looking at, and you know, be able to go and uh, see for ourselves the infrastructure going in, and it's just a really it's just a um, clarification and also uh, confirmation that all the stuff that is being said about specific states is all happening, and so we can be comfortable with um, knowing that you know they will rise with. Uh, the, the cycle and, and um, we we think they'll rise at the level that we uh, anticipate. Well, there's certainly enormous infrastructure that's going on around the uh, the country at the moment in Australia. It's uh, you know everywhere you look, there you know building things, ripping things up, replacing things. It's um, it, it's massive what's going on, and that of course you know is one of the uh, one of our five pillars um, of our five drivers. Certainly is and. No more to note than in Melbourne over here with all the tunnel work going on and uh, lots of new, there's still an enormous amount of building happening. Um, you can't get a tradesperson. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Materials, the material cost is going through the roof. And so, again, all goes back into economic prosperity and land prices. And so it's that's, and that's one of the reasons why we want to make sure we do go, you know, to Brisbane and Perth prior to coming back to Melbourne, you know, we want to see that sort of stuff for ourselves happening, so it just can reaffirm, you know, the the uh, land prices and the, the booms that are going to happen in the markets in the coming couple of years. Yeah, great, Mark. Um, it's probably a time to wrap it up. Is there anything that I haven't asked that I should have asked? Do you think? Oh, I don't think so. You're only being very comprehensive, I feel. <laughs> we've, covered some, <laughs> we've covered some ground today, haven't we? Um, we certainly have. And I must admit, I love that crossover of the whole, you know, uh, elite sports um, across to investing. I find the 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 psychological aspect of it really interesting. Um, you know that 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 aspect of you know elite persons, you know their their psychological profiles and 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 how. They work as a team with coaches to create, you know, uh, elite outcomes. And I think there's a lot that as investors we can actually learn from that process um, that, you know, the that when we team up with really good people around us that the outcome can be so much better than what it can, um, you know, what we can achieve on our own. Oh, absolutely, Jeremy. I, I always go back to um, the old adage, you always want what you haven't got. And then you need to you need to take steps like stage processes are, are really important. So I think back to the early days of my footy. I, you know, I, I was when I first tried to get into an AFL club. If I could just be an opposition analyst, you know, that'd be fantastic. Once you get to be an opposition analyst, you want to be a coach. Once you get to be a coach, you want to be the senior coach. Yeah. You know, yeah so there's yeah, always those steps, yeah. and the same thing applies to investment and property. You, you need to get. You know, your first property mightn't be you know, the Taj Mahal, but it's mm. it's a very important step yeah. in your property um, investment process. And so, being able to get that right, the right property first um, through professional advice, I think is the you know is a, such an important step with investment. 
And as you said before, you know, you just touched on, and it is definitely a topic that um, we'll pick up in our, probably our quick hits, but, you know, the whole idea of, you know, rent vesting and, you know, the bank of mum and dad, you know, being able to help, um, you know, younger folk on their ways, you know, it just can mean so much to those, uh, to those individuals getting them moving on and onto the property ladder. Oh, absolutely. The rent vesting things, you know, such a great topic in there. It'd be interesting for you guys to cover that. Mm. Uh, the, you know, as I said, my mum and dad get a, you know, work hard, get a house, mm. Uh, mm. do all that sort of stuff. These days, it's live where you want to live by renting and then, you yeah. know, utilise the government and, the, and your, um, your tenants to pay your house off or absolutely. your apartment off or your townhouse off. You know, so, what do we uh, say? Buy, buy an investment and rent a lifestyle, Mark. That's exactly right, and that's that's the way you know people sh- what people should be thinking. Mm. It's a great way to go, especially um, at, at, at the start of your investment journey. Mark, it's been a pleasure having you um, on. Uh, pleasure having you joining me. Now, tell me if people want to know a bit more about uh, your buyers' advocacy work, or um, you know, some help uh, sourcing investment property. How's the best way for them to get in touch? I jump on the Examine Property website. Uh, I'm in there somewhere with Omar and a couple of other our, of our workmates. Uh, get in touch with us, and we will hold your hand through your investment journey. Especially uh, if it's if it is a secondhand property, our advocacy service is um, second to none. It's fantastic. Excellent. Look, I'll put those contact details for examine in the show notes. To our listeners, thanks a lot for joining us uh, today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a rating or review. If you want to know more about investing, then I'd love to help you out. Just go and visit pafo.com.au. Um, or, of course, you can email me at jeremy at pafo.com.au. Pafo is, of course, the acronym for property, Australia's favorite obsession. Um, you can also catch us on the socials under the uh, handle PAFOPOD, so P-A-F-O-P-O-D. Thanks again for joining me. And uh, Mark, it's been a pleasure having you on once again. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for your time, mate. Appreciate it. And to all our listeners, of course, let's keep obsessing about property. Any opinions or recommendations expressed should be considered general in nature, as they do not consider your personal objectives or financial circumstances. You should therefore consider these matters yourself before deciding whether the advice is appropriate to you and if you should act upon it. Should advice be sought, please seek an appropriately qualified advisor. Investing may not be appropriate for everyone, as there is inherent risk and the possibility of loss when investing in financial assets, just as there is the possibility of profits. While useful for identifying patterns, History and past performance do not guarantee future performance. Calvin Flack has a commercial relationship with guests appearing on this production.